Welcome to Christchurch Manchester Sermon Podcast. CCM is one church that meets every Sunday in various locations across Manchester. For more information about who we are or about our Sunday meetings, please visit www.christchurchmanchester.com. I wonder if you have ever met anyone famous. So a couple of weeks ago, whenever the Queen passed away, over 250,000 people queued to file past her coffin while she was lying in state. And that was when she had passed away. So I'm going to show off here and I'm going to tell you that actually, while she was still alive, I almost met her. (laughs) So if I was stood here, she was stood about here, maybe for a few minutes or so, and she was talking to the person in front of me about helicopters or something, but she didn't talk to me, so I nearly met her, and I think that's pretty good when so many people queued to see her whenever she died. So in any case, this was making me think about who is actually the most interesting, famous person that I have ever met? And unfortunately, my PowerPoint isn't wor- didn't work this morning, but I did have a picture of her. I've got a real treat for you. If you have a look at this right hand, everybody, my right hand, this hand once shook the hand of Elizabeth Elliot. And I think that she is the most interesting, famous person that I have ever met. Well, I'll tell you now. So... When I was about nine years old, Elizabeth Elliot, who was a Christian speaker, um, she came to my uncle's church and she was speaking about her experiences. And as we left the church, I shook her hand. And I didn't just shake her hand, she took interest in me. I was a little girl and she even had a little chat with my mum about my grandparents who were also missionaries. So if you don't know Elizabeth Elliot, she was a missionary. And quite famously, well, famously for some people, um, in 1956, her husband, Jim Elliot, was tragically speared to death by the people, the Orca, in, the Orca people who lived in Peru, and who he had gone to share the good news of Jesus with. And they actually killed him while he was trying to bring them the good news of Jesus. And then, two years later... Elizabeth actually returned to Peru to live amongst the Orca people to share the good news of Jesus and she even brought her three-year-old daughter with her. And I just think that's absolutely amazing. And then in 1969, she married again and tragically her husband passed away four years later. So you see, she was no stranger to suffering. Now, when I met her, she was on her third husband and she quite openly (laughs) joked that things were not looking good for him. (laughs) So, in any case... Like I say, she was no stranger to suffering and she was quite famous in Christian circles throughout her life um, because she spoke a lot and she wrote a lot about her experience of suffering and how God was able to work through that suffering. So at the minute, as a church, we're going through the story of Joseph, which we find in Genesis, and he also was no stranger to suffering. And in fact, today we're going to read about a time which was really, really tough for him because actually what happened was his brothers, his own brothers, bucked him in a pit and then sold him as a slave. So we're going to read this cheery passage and it's found in Genesis chapter 37, verses 12 to 36. So that's Genesis 
37, 12 to 36. It might come up on the screen, it might not. But in any case, if you've got a Bible, you can follow along. Okay, so 37, verse 12. Now, his brothers went to pasture the father's flock near Shechem. And Israel said to Joseph, Are not your brothers pasturing the flock at Shechem? Come, I will send you to them. And he said to him, Here I am. So he said to him, Go now, see if it is well with your brothers and with the flock, and bring me word. So he sent him from the valley of Hebron, and he came to Shechem. And a man found him wandering in the fields. And the man asked him, What are you seeking? I am seeking my brothers, he said. Tell me, please, where are they pasturing the flock? And the man said, They have gone away, for I heard them say, Let us go to Dothan. So the man so, no, sorry. So Joseph went after his brothers and found them at Dothan. And they saw him from afar, and before he came near to them, they conspired against him to kill him. They said to one another, Here comes this dreamer. Come now, let us kill him and throw him into one of the pits. Then we will say that a fierce animal has devoured him, and we will see what will become of his dreams. But when Reuben heard it, he rescued him out of their hands, saying, let us not take his life. And Reuben said to them, shed no blood, throw him into this pit here in the wilderness, but do not lay a hand on him, that he might rescue him out of their hand to restore him to his father. So when Joseph came to his brothers, they stripped him of his robe, the robe of many colours that he wore. And they took him and threw him into a pit. The pit was empty, there was no water in it. Then they sat down to eat, and looking up, they saw a caravan of Ishmaelites coming from Gilead, and their camels bearing gum, bam, and myrrh on their way to carry it down to Egypt. Then Judah said to his brothers, What profit is it if we kill our brother and conceal his blood? Come, let us sell him to the Ishmaelites, and let not our hand be upon him, for he is our brother, our own flesh." And his brothers listened to him. Then Midianite traders passed by and they drew Joseph up and lifted him out of the pit and sold him to the Ishmaelites for 20 shekels of silver. And they took Joseph to Egypt. When Reuben returned to the pit and saw that Joseph was not in the pit, he tore his clothes and returned to his brothers and said, the boy is gone and I, where shall I go? Then they took Joseph's robe and slaughtered a goat and dipped the robe in the blood. And they sent the blood of many colours and brought it to their father and said, This we have found. Please identify whether it is your son's or not. And he identified it and said, It is my son's robe. A fierce animal has devoured him. Joseph is without doubt torn to pieces. Then Jacob tore his garments and put sackcloth on his loins and mourned for his son for many days. All his sons and all his daughters rose up to comfort him. But he refused to be comforted and said, No, I shall go down to Sheol to my son mourning. Thus his father wept for him. Meanwhile, the Midianites had sold him to Egypt to Potiphar, an officer of Pharaoh, the captain of the guard. Okay, so I have three points from our passage that I want to look at this morning. And they are suffering in the pit, perspective in the pit, and survival in the pit. So my first point is suffering in the pit. So Joseph really was not having a very good time here, was he? 
So before we read this passage, we read in Genesis that actually Joseph was only 17 years old and his own brothers were jealous of him because he was their father's favourite son and because he had had these prophetic dreams about how one day all of his brothers were going to bow down and worship him. And by the way, he wasn't making that up. He had actually had those dreams and those dreams actually came true. Now, thankfully for Joseph... Not all of his brothers were on board with the plan to, um, to kill him. And Reuben, Reuben, his brother, came up with some kind of half-baked plan where he suggested to the other brothers, chuck him in a pit, don't kill him. Now, of course, Reuben had planned to rescue Joseph later, but this plan didn't work, did it? No, because while Reuben was away somewhere the other brothers sold Joseph into slavery for 20 shekels of silver. Can you imagine how traumatic this must have been for poor Joseph? What must he have been thinking when he was stuck in this pit? He was betrayed by his own brothers, possibly injured, tired, hungry, dehydrated. And I don't know about you, but when I get hungry, I get hangry. Just ask my husband. And when I get, I get tearful when I'm tired and I cannot imagine how Joseph would have been feeling in this situation. Can you? No, probably not. So in any case, <clears throat> it's interesting, isn't it? In this passage, there is no mention of God and there is no mention of Joseph's faith in the whole passage. But if we fast forward to Genesis chapter 50, verse 20, Joseph, when he's reflecting on his life and what God has done in it, even amongst all the crazy things, he recognised God's sovereignty and God's goodness, even in the suffering inflicted on him by his brothers. Joseph says to his brothers in verse 20 of chapter 50, As for you, you meant evil against me, but God meant it for good, to bring it about that many people should be kept alive as they are today. And he's talking there about the people um, that he managed to keep alive when he was in Egypt during the famine. So here, Joseph recognises that God can work through our suffering. God used Joseph's experience being sold into slavery to keep people alive during a famine. You see, God used Joseph's traumatic experience in the pit for good. Now, it is probably worth mentioning here that there has been a lot of scholarship, there's been a lot of debate about why God allows suffering to happen. To happen. And there have been lots of helpful books on the subject written, like Tim Keller's book, which is called Walking with God Through Pain and Suffering. And there are some really good arguments given, such as the fact that we live in a fallen world, which is broken, and that naturally means that suffering happens, and that's why we need Jesus to rescue the world. But I'm going to stand in front of you today and I'm going to say that I do not have all the answers. Some things I just cannot get my little brain around. I don't know why some children sometimes die of cancer. And I don't know why some babies are born with life-limiting illnesses. I don't understand why God allows these things to happen. And I don't know why you're maybe suffering today. But do you know what? 
it is okay that I don't know. And it's okay that I don't understand why God allows suffering to happen. Because, do you know what? I am not God. I am just a human being. And my understanding of the all-knowing, all-powerful God of the universe is constrained by the limits of my little brain. Romans chapter 8 verse 28 tells us and we know that for those who love God all things work together for good for those who are called according to his purpose. So while I can't trust in my understanding of God I can trust that he is in control and he knows what he is doing. So when I am suffering, whether I can fathom a reason for that suffering or not, or why God would even allow that kind of suffering to happen, I know that the all-powerful God of the universe can work things together for my good. Whether I understand how he does this or not, and this is exactly what happens in the story of Joseph. So in any case, my second point is perspective in the pit. So I wonder if you feel like you have been cast in a pit. What struggles are you experiencing? What traumatic things have you been through? Maybe you're in a pit of financial difficulty and you don't know how you're going to pay your bills this month. Maybe it's a pit of health or mental health difficulties, and you're worried if you're ever going to get better. Maybe you're stuck in a job that you hate. Maybe you don't have a job. Maybe you feel like your marriage is in the pit. And I feel like recently I've had so many conversations with people about Christian marriage and what it should and shouldn't look like. And I just want to say that if you feel like your marriage is in the pit this morning, Take this opportunity and speak to someone you trust for some prayer and some support because actually Christian marriage has the potential to be good, really, really good. Maybe you feel like you're stuck in a pit of singleness and you don't see how you're ever going to get out of that pit. Maybe you feel like you are stuck in the exhausting pit of parenting and you do not know how you are ever going to get a break. In any case, I don't know your individual circumstances and I don't know what other pits you might be experiencing this morning, but I do know the one who knows. Don't you think it's just so interesting that this passage doesn't say anything about God? When he's reflecting on his life in his later years, Joseph reflects that God was working for good, but our passage does not tell us that Joseph was in that pit saying, God, this is really hard for me, but I know that you are in control, so I am just going to chill. No, we doesn't say that. We don't know what was going on in Joseph's head. But I do know that when we find ourselves in a pit, it can be really hard to see out of the pit, to be able to see um, that we can turn to God when we are struggling. So Elizabeth Elliot, you know, my mate... She had a really, really fantastic perspective on suffering. And she said this, she said, There have been some hard things in my life, of course, as there have been in yours. And I cannot say to you, I know exactly what you're going through. But I can say that I know the one who knows. And I've come to see that it's through the deepest suffering that God has taught me the deepest lessons. 
And if we'll trust him for it, we can come through to the unshakable assurance that he's in charge. He has a loving purpose and he can transform something terrible into something wonderful. Suffering is never for nothing. And I just think for someone who experienced such traumatic suffering in her life, that was such an amazing perspective to have. But do you know what? I would be completely lying to you if I said that to have a perspective like Elizabeth Elliot was easy. Because when we're suffering, we can be so focused on trying to get ourselves out of the pit that actually we forget that we can turn to God to help us through our experience. I know that I'm a bit like that anyways, which is why I think we need to think practically about how we can maintain a heavenly perspective in difficult times. Which brings me on to my last point, which is survival in the pit. So if you humour me here, I want you to imagine your life is a bit like a big wilderness filled with big pits that you might be chucked in from time to time. If you're going out on such a journey, you would want to make sure that you were physically fit, wouldn't you? You want to be prepared and ready for the hard times in the pit. So what do we need to do to be able to survive the pit? Well, I was having to think about this and I came up with three things. And maybe in your community group, you might want to go away and think about, well, what other things could we do to be prepared to survive the pits of struggling in our life? The things that I came up with were, you'd want a well-exercised relationship with God. You wouldn't go alone if you could avoid it. And you would take professional help if you needed it. So the first thing is, you'd want your relationship with God to be well-exercised. You wouldn't be going into a physical, physical wilderness, really unfit, hopefully, and unprepared. And similarly, you don't want to go into a spiritual wilderness, spiritually unfit and spiritually unprepared. But can we just be honest here? Isn't that often easier said than done? You see, the devil will stop at nothing to stop you from getting that relationship with God, that kind of spiritual fitness, because that is the kind of relationship that actually scares him. Recently, I was talking to Mark, my husband, and I was talking about how sometimes I will give absolutely any excuse to not spend time with God. But actually, when I do spend that time, I never, ever, ever regret it. But don't you find that it can be really hard to spend that time with God, particularly if you're going through a really hard time? So just in this encouragement, I want to tell you the story of Susanna Wesley. I don't know if you've heard of her. She lived in the 1700s. She was the mother of Charles Wesley, the hymn writer, make sure I get this the right way around, and John Wesley, the great evangelist, and he was actually the founder of the Methodist Church. In any case, she was no stranger to suffering either. She had 19 children. 10 of whom died, honestly, 10 of whom died in their infancy. So she lost 10 children. And then the other nine children, she homeschooled. And yes, any of us who have done any homeschooling in lockdown know that that is no mean feat. She was no stranger to suffering. But even in the chaos, every day in Susanna's house, there was a strange sight to be seen because what happened was Susanna would put her apron over her head for two hours and that was her symbol to her children that that was the time that she was spending time with God and believe me, they knew not to disturb her. 
So, and that was the time that she prayed for all of her children. And think of the impact that her children had on modern day faith. It was absolutely amazing. But you see, what I have learned over the years is that the time that I spend with God is not necessarily going to look like how Susanna Wesley spends time with God. Because quite frankly, if I put my apron over my head and abandon my children to it for two hours, I mean, like that would be neglect. Um, And the way that I spend time with God is not going to look the same as how Gabby spends time with God or Tom spends time with God or Elizabeth spends time with God. I have had to find what works for me. So just as an example, some of the things that work for me in this stage of my life with my young children are I like to listen to sermon podcasts in the car on the way to work because that helps me get stuck into God's word. I listen to worship music when I am tidying up in my house, which happens quite a lot. Um, (laughs) I often pray last thing before I go to bed at night. And when I do get that opportunity to have that time, just me and God with no distractions, which to be honest with you does not happen every day at all. But when I have that time, I find it really helpful to have a notebook and a pen to write down my prayers and my thoughts, even if it's not much, but it just gives me that focus. And you will need to find what works for you in order to get that spiritually exercised life. So my second point, don't go it alone. I mean, like, you wouldn't really want to be going out in the wilderness by yourself, would you, if you had people that could come along and help you? In the summertime, Mark and Paul Bull, who's out with the kids, um, and I, we all went up a massive big hill near Dovestone Reservoir, and it was amazing to take Paul with us because I am not made for the outdoor life at all. And Paul is made for the outdoor life. And before we went, he had the route all mapped out and he knew exactly where to go and what to do and how we would get up to the top of this hill. And Mark was amazing to have with us because actually he's really talented in encouraging children to keep going, get to the top of that hill. Now, I didn't make it to the top of the hill. But, like I say, it's not my, my calling. And if it was just down to me, nobody would have made it to the top of the hill. But I am very good at being prepared for every eventuality. And even though it was a cloudy, cloudy day with a little bit of rain, I still brought sun cream. And when the sun came out, everyone put sun cream on and nobody came home burnt. So you see, we all have our different parts to play. And this is exactly the kind of diverse gifting within the family of Christ that Paul the Apostle, not Paul Bull, talks about in Romans 12, 4 to 5. It says, For just as each of us has one body with many members, and these members do not all have the same function, so in Christ we, though many, form one body, and each member belongs to all the others. So you see, as we go out into the spiritual wilderness, our church community is important to us because we all have something different to bring, which may be invaluable in times of suffering in the pit. And I just want to say that going to a community group is not the only way to experience church or Christian community. Of course, you might have friends that you pray with, that you meet up with and that you're accountable to and you pray regularly with, and that is absolutely amazing. But when community group is a ready-made way of intentionally building community with a wide range of people, some of whom come from a different walk of life to you, I would just really encourage you to make the most of it. 
So thirdly and finally, I think that it's really, really important to say that there are some pits that require professional help to get out of. Do you remember in 2010 when 33 miners got stuck in a massive pit in Chile? They were trapped for 69 days and it required a lot of specialist help to get them out. They had to call in experts from NASA to engineer a specialist capsule to winch them out of the pit. So particularly if you're experiencing a pit with health or mental health problems, I would just encourage you that as well as turning to God, exercising that relationship with him, as well as reaching out to your church community, all of which are really important things, take advantage of the fact that God has given people talents and expertise in areas which might be able to help you. It is totally okay to turn for professional help when you need it. So as I draw to a close, we know that when times get tough, it can be really frustrating if we don't understand why God is allowing us to suffer. suffer. And it can be really hard to keep a heavenly perspective and not just try and fix things ourselves, as I have a tendency to do. But when we go back to the story of Joseph in the pit, we can draw comfort and encouragement because, look, Joseph was cast into a pit of immense suffering through no fault of his own. And God was eventually able to work through that, even that terrible situation in a way so that Joseph was able to save the lives of many, many people. And that gives us hope. God can work for good even in the most awful circumstances. But God is not so detached from our suffering that he does not understand how it feels. Doesn't the story of Joseph remind you a bit of the story of Jesus? Jesus was also cast into immense suffering through no fault of his own. And God was eventually able to work through that terrible situation in a way so that Jesus was able to save the souls of many, many people. You see, Jesus was God's own son and he knew what it was to suffer. But he too knew that God could use his suffering for good.